0: Welcome to the inaugural episode of Plugged In, a Nashville Soccer Podcast. I am your host, your gaffer, your babysitter, Jaime Cardenas, and I am joined by the Tennesseans, Drake Hills, your eyes and ears to anything and everything in Nashville. Let's see, Drake. Yes. Welcome.
1: Tap in, live life Drake on Twitter. Well I will also be giving you anything and everything you want if you have a subscription. And we'll be joined by Nick Gray as well, who is my counterpart in the newsroom talking soccer. Hey guys, how's it going? That's all you have. That's all I have. All right. Well, as you know, Jaime he's and a I will words, be. Uh, but he's, uh,
0: he's big on soccer passion. He'll be
1: dominating unless you want to bring up Everton FC in the English Premier League or anything that happened with Nashville C prior to its MLS birth. Nick Gray will be of very little words. Already dunking on Nick, and it's only
0: five minutes. No, nah,
1: everyone needs to know that Nick was the guy dunking on me about five minutes ago. So I'm not going to let that slip. But we're here to
0: talk about Nashville SC. That's what we're here to talk about. And we're particularly here to talk about, to you, about their preseason. On Saturday, we start the season, the first inaugural season of Nashville SC, history in the making. You saw them live in Florida. What can you tell us about sort of what you learned by being there for a week? That's correct. So
1: Nashville SC was in Florida first in Bradenton, based at IMG Academy, they left for some fun Super Bowl parties and then came back to Tampa, Florida, which is where I met them in the final week of its preseason. They had two friendlies. The first was against FC Cincinnati, uh, which they were able to get a 3-1 victory. And then, of course, DC United they had a 1-1 draw um, in Tampa. Now, what I saw not only in those two friendly matches, but also throughout the few training sessions that I was able to take a look at was the fact that There is still a lot of lessons to be learned when it comes to situational foundation details that uh, Gary Smith, the head coach, has been very adamant on trying to get down. Uh, First and foremost is how they look with set pieces. What do they look like when it comes to defending them? Obviously, when they're in possession, what do they look like with a high press Uh, when they don't have the ball, when they're in the opponent's attacking or the opponent's first third, um, and they're trying to put extra pressure on the ball, and something that actually put, panned well, panned well uh, in not only the FC Cincinnati game, but also briefly from time to time in the D.C. United game. Um, and a couple of other things is the fact that Randall Leal has been a standout when it comes to some of the top players in this National SC roster. He's a guy who has been able to fit in well with what not only Gary Smith, but also some of the other coaches, Brett Jacobs, uh, Steve Guppy is a, a former English Premier League winger who notably played for someone like Leicester City in the English Premier League. Um, he's learned well. So far, he's adjusted well to Major League Soccer and American Soccer. A guy who probably folks wouldn't necessarily know from a national stage that has done well is Derek Jones, although he was on that. That deep roster of you know Tyler Adams, Weston McKinney, Josh Sargent in that under twenty World Cup a couple of years ago, uh, he was a standout in that team and he's had some injuries all dating all the way back to them. But also even last year with National SC's USL team, he had a really good preseason camp. Uh, that's the, from the from Smith's mouth himself uh, talked about his ability his his versatility to not only play in the attacking midfield role, the holding midfield role, but also plays a bit of a false nine or a second striker. In a way, he earned two penalties, scored one. Hani Mukhtar was given the given the uh, privilege to score the second. So with with Derek, he's another standout of preseason. Um, lastly, Taylor Washington had a pretty solid uh, preseason. And something that Gary Smith told me was, "Hey, you know these USL guys that were either drafted by MLS team and went immediately down to USL or started in USL. A lot of these guys, uh, notably Taylor Washington, was able to adjust to." The increase of talent in um, a lot of MLS guys like Daniel Lovitz and some of these other guys, you know, U.S. men's national team level guys, which Taylor Washington was able to meet their level of talent in preseason. So we'll just have to see, you know, who's going to get the playing time in, in
0: those depth roles. But those are some of the guys who, who did well in preseason. There's yeah. definitely a lot of positives out of that preseason. And one of the big things heading into the season For Nashville SC is the fact that the spine, the defense, the midfield, and goalkeeper seems to be set. What can you tell us about the style of play? How how are they going to be playing?
1: So Joe Willis is a starting goalkeeper, is likely to be the starting goalkeeper, uh, as well as Dave Romney and Walker Zimmerman are likely going to be the two center halves, the two starting center backs for Nashville SC this year. And whether it be in preseason friendlies, preseason games, uh, or scrimmages in practice, in, in the training sessions, everyone is going to have the ball at their feet. Joe Willis is going to have the ball at his feet. Walker, Dave, it's going to start from the back. It's not going to, you know, it's not going to be a little bit of a, a one-two and then heave it up field. Um, it's not. They're not going to play the long ball at all. They've been very, um, in terms of the increment passing, that's been a big thing for this team. And they're gonna have the possession. I mean Joe Willis is gonna gonna start from the from the back. And they're, they're gonna, gonna lean on being a high press team. I think that's the buzzword. The hanging. high press for sure, but I think with possession, people wanna think about possession as like, you know, basically sideways passing, kinda keep it in the midfield, and that's not really what Nashville has done so far. It's the, everyone has had the ball. Um you're having guys like Daniel Lovitz get way up the field from the fullback position. So you're gonna have a lot of chances being taken at times from this Nashville team. But the biggest problem is like, you know, they don't have anybody to really count on to score these goals centrally. You know, the center striker position, when it comes to taking advantage of these chances that are coming occasionally, they haven't had a consistent guy to put the ball in the goal. Well, that
2: was that was be one thing that I was going to ask you from what you saw in Florida. Um, how are they using the fullbacks? So they are they a heavy part of what they try to do in attack? Um, I know uh, Daniel Lovitz is a guy that has had several, you know, I think he had one year where he had five assists a couple of years ago with Minnesota. What, uh where are they, how are they using those, him and Eric Miller?
1: Eric Miller is someone who he would get upfield just a little bit, but I think the guy that is going to get upfield from the back line is going to be Daniel Lovitz. Uh, he's been a guy, not only as recent as uh, Tuesday during the training session in the 11 v. 11, uh, he was a guy that was constantly working with Randall Leal on that left side to, to whether to have Randall kind of invert and kind of go inside and how Daniel be on the outside putting service into the box Uh, he's going to be a guy who's going to be incremental he was talking a lot a lot with Anibal Godoy um, because that's a that's a bit of a triangle right I mean Anibal Godoy is likely going to be on that left side of that that central defensive defensive midfield partnership with Dax so I mean he's going to be a guy that's likely going to be fairly up the pitch um on a, on a high frequent basis.
2: And do you see them interacting with any of the wingers specifically Is like, is Eric Miller going and talking to David Akam? Is, have you seen any of those relationships kind of panning out so a far?
1: Bit, I think that's not as, um, I guess you could say complete as maybe Daniel and Randall on the left side. I think with Eric and, and Akam on that right-hand side, I think that's something that you know, everyone can still see kind of still coming together a little bit.
0: So that's where we are with that. I'm going to ask you to make a prediction. And Uh-oh. I know. I know. Uh-oh. Now, you do did, do this on one of your stories, so I'm just going to ask you to do anything new. You know, okay. go, people listening to this, you go to and go true. check out your coverage. Shameless plug. Um, and, you know, you did a nice little prediction of the starting 11. Right. Um, You know, you put Hane and Mukhtar there in the middle. Where are the goals going to come from? You know, is it going to be from him? Is it going to be from someone else? Yeah. I, the, don't, I don't see Nashville having a 10-goal player this season.
1: I don't see. I don't see Nashville uh, having a team that's going to he- rely heavily on one forward or or Hani Mukhtar in that that number ten role, in that attacking midfield role. I think it's going to see someone like Hani maybe scoring six goals, Randall scoring four goals, Baji scoring three or four goals, uh, and then maybe someone like David Akam putting in two or three goals throughout the season. Uh, especially the way they're playing, it's the the fact that they have this some sort of like arrow going into attack. Have a lot of guys coming in, um, not only Hani Mukhtar but Anibal Godoy against DC, and uh, yeah, against DC, he was a guy who was occasionally getting into the box when you know the, the, they had a lot of service coming in from the flank. So I mean, you're going to have somebody maybe from from the central midfield getting a couple of goals as well, uh, maybe especially if Derek Jones gets into the team, like if he gets a starting. Opportunity. I think he's going to be a guy who's going to try to get a couple of goals um, with that opportunity. But there's not going to be one guy who's going to have a ten goal season. That's so, just my prediction.
2: So can they achieve their objectives this year by having that kind of dynamic?
1: Well, yeah, but I won't. That, I let, mean, me, that's let me. That's the question, let me, right? Let me walk that back. I won't say well, yeah. I will say if this system that Gary Smith is playing that is very strict on the chances that they not necessarily allow but they concede or the chances that they take going upfield and being vulnerable going back. I think that you know Nashville is going to be a team who let's say they concede 50 and they score 55 or they score 60 and they concede 50 or they concede 45 goals uh, so maybe they concede 55 60 goals. I mean we' it's not going to the goal differential is not going to be heavily skewed to one side. We'll save the season predictions for after our interview um, with our our halftime guests. Go That's ahead. another thing. we got to drop a bomb with these listeners. John Strong, the lead voice of Major League Soccer for Fox, he'll be talking uh, with us shortly where he's talked about the Atlanta United matchup this Saturday. He talked about Nashville's potential for this inaugural season. He talked about soccer in the south this potential rivalry with atlanta and then obviously just being in the south and what it means for the southern community and growing soccer so we got a lot to go with um coming up shortly um uh, but first I actually wanted to get your guys' predictions what what are your predictions about nashville sc because it's been so much about you know what they're doing on the field but just take a take a look at what they the pieces that they have on paper like if you have a prediction based off of that like what would it be points wise uh, you want me to go for points? <laughs> points in place. Points in place in
0: them MLS Western <laughs> we're, Conference. We're doing it now, not after the review? We're doing a- it, we're doing I, it okay. right
2: now. I think, uh, uh, for me, I think a good place for them would be anywhere over 40 points, which would probably put them 10th or 11th. I think that's a good, good area to be in. Um, I do wonder, you know, I think the concern is definitely with the goal scoring, but um, there's a lot of good pieces here. I mean... Dax McCarthy, uh, Walker Zimmerman, um, Daniel lovett These are all guys that have succeeded on the MLS level before, and they've succeeded in this league. They can have some cohesion here. If they can get that quickly, I think they can make a run. St- they can have a really strong start. I know the schedule is really difficult, but um,
1: yeah, I mean you got what four MLS Cup champions in the first five games.
2: Oh yeah, I mean it's 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 not it's not the start you would, you would craft for yourself for an expansion team, but um, if they can find scoring from Lial and from Mukhtar. And from David Akam, and not, and you, we've talked about this before. I'm a, I'm a big David Akam fan. I think he can be the X factor here in terms of if you're looking for somebody to score six to eight goals in the season or more, because he's done it before. He's had double digit scoring seasons. This is this is where I this mean, is where his career can kind of have that next next big boom. Is that David Akam can come in here and be the leading scorer? He's done it before. He has been the leading scorer on a team before in the MLS. Can he do it now? And can he do it in the system? That'll be the one thing. Can't does the the high press system fit what David acom does?
1: Yeah, from what I've seen, the the key top guys for this high press system that I've seen has been Daniel Rios up front. Hadi Mukhtar has done well. Uh, when Matt Lagrassa got a chance, he did well. Derek Jones, uh, Anibal Godoy. Anibal Godoy, I think especially. Uh, Randall Leal as well. So, so those are some of the places I. have some of the pieces that I've seen succeed in the high. Press. I noticed you didn't say David Akam's name. Yeah, uh, that's that's why correct. is that? Well, because David Akam he hasn't he hasn't had his his moment yet. He hasn't had his time where he's like, okay, I get it now. Like this is how, and he hasn't put himself in a position where he's a part of that. Whether it's a key tackle, whether it's you know dispossessing a player and being able to counterattack or start a counterattack directly. He hasn't had that moment yet.
2: Yeah, and, and, for, and for me, you know, we're talking about all this. We're talking about where the goal's coming from. David Akam's done it. I keep telling you, I almost I say this every day. David Akam does it. He's it.
0: buying so much stock Let on David Akam right now. I, 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 don't want to,
2: I don't want to say that, like, oh, I'm picking David Akam to score 15 or 20 goals this year. I'm saying if you need a guy to be the guy but that you gets didn't you, write you on the whiteboard, a possible
1: though. DP. You didn't and, write him as the guy who's going to score a goal, though. Oh, you have, I understand. On a whiteboard in the Tennessee, we have our projected score first goals scored or first goals scored in a Nashville SC shirt. And you I picked, have Hani Mukhtar. And I picked Dave Romney before Walker Zimmerman.
2: I, that, that's, thinking, your pick? that's your I, pick, though. I understand. This was in January. I would have picked Walker Zimmerman. If we were talking right now, Walker the per- Zimmerman. The, the point I'm off trying to set make set is that piece. you didn't
1: put David Akam on the whiteboard.
2: I understand. I, I think, um, but, uh, but to me, if you need a guy to score 10 goals in the first three, four months of the season before you get to that point where you decide, all right, we need to purchase a, a designated player who can play up front. David Akam is the guy. It's not going to be – I don't think it's going to be Don Lodi. I don't think it's going to be Baji. It's going to be either Mukhtar, Lial, or Akam. And where? And Akam, in, in terms of being the, the oh, number the one scorer, goal scorer. Okay. Don't come, going into, say, July 15th or August 1st. Akam's the one that you can say, all right, I've seen it before. I know he can do it. Now he's had injury problems, and last year he we went to a couple teams, and he had some uh, uncertainties in terms of of where he was going to be, even for this year, until Nashville um, purchased him or signed him as he went to Nat or went to Columbus and had a kind of not necessarily successful three month stint there. I still think though that David Akam is the guy who can be the X factor for this team. And would surprise people when they are near a playoff position is B, be because someone like him is scoring goals.
0: That's why it's so difficult to predict this team right now, as it is, as it stands Absolutely. right now. Because I'm going to put a pause on my prediction and say, just check back after the, the summer break, I'll the do. summer transfer window. Because as it is do. right now, I don't see them. I don't see them in the playoffs as they're built right now. I think being in the West, the, West, the Western Conference is much more difficult this year. I, I don't see them cracking the top eight, top nine spots. Um, I don't see them, um, the fact that we don't know where goals are going to come from. Um, They're playing in a new sort of new team. And uh, while they are defensively set for, they're set for defensive success, you know, things can go wrong when you're doing that way. Um, And first big test is this Saturday against Atlanta, uh, an offensive juggernaut. Or a team that likes to play offensive style their their defensive schemes is going to put right to the test right right from the go
2: and i don't know if this is a question we're going to ask after john strong's interview but <coughs> do you expect this uh to saturday's game to be a fair representation of what nashville sc is going to be really not only just for like july and august i'm talking like through this first six eight game stretch are we going to see the same nashville sc style that we would see when they play say columbus who's not necessarily as a talented team as atlanta is
1: Style is a key word because my answer just changed, actually, uh, when you said that word. Because style, it's not going to change. What is going to change is the quality. That's what I think. The way that they enforce that style upon other opponents. That's what I'm going to say you, for now. You don't think – well, we'll probably get to that later. We'll I have, wait, I'll we'll wait. That well, let's listen to here. Let's listen here on the Plugged In National Soccer Podcast, Tennessean. We have John Strong as a guest. He'll be talking a little bit about Nashville's ceiling. So he is giving his own take on that as well as the matchup itself. And a little bit more about what soccer is going to be in the South. And as we promised everyone, John Strong, the lead for Fox Soccer and Fox, uh, the the play-by-play uh, for, for here we are in MLS, um, we're going to be talking a little bit about Atlanta United's trip to Nashville SC, as well as a little bit about Nashville SC's uh, first year in MLS, but also uh, how soccer in the South is, is coming up and growing. Uh, so, John, you know, first, I just want to ask, you know, how's it going and are you, what are you exactly are you anticipating for coming into Nashville? Are you, what are you looking forward to? Is it the hot chicken or is it actually the
3: soccer? Well, the nice thing is I've actually gotten the chance three times uh, to be in Nashville to call the U.S. men. So so sort of every other summer around the Gold Cup, we've had games there. and uh, We were there last July and just could not have more enjoyed our time there. And, and even long enough, the first was 2015. Even in that period, I've seen how much the city has grown, not just the soccer part of it, but just every time there, you know, new hotels here and new buildings there and um it is something that we were when we were there last July, we were all saying, man, this is going to be so much fun to be able to start coming more regularly for MLS. So the game itself will be great. Um, it's a little bit of a, of a parachute in, parachute out, because we've got a Thursday night CONCACAF Champions League with LAFC and then Red Eye and sort of come in and do our meetings. Um, but I know we've got multiple trips there this year. And, yeah, I, as my coworkers will, uh, will attest, as much as we're there to call a game – one of my big things is, you know, we have this unique opportunity to, to travel around, whether it's the country or the world, on someone else's dime. <laughs> let's make the most of it. Let's enjoy it. Let's, let's see the city. Let's eat some food. You know, we're not here to get in trouble, but let's, one of my quotes is, why else are we here? So if, there's, if it's a local specialty, if it's a great restaurant, whatever it is, um, we try to make the most of it, and I, and I will say that uh, Nashville and Miami as well are two cities with such really distinct and interesting cultures to them that are really fun places to go. And I'm excited that we going to start going now for MRS.
1: Absolutely. The ultimate finesse is uh, getting ready to travel on someone else's dime, <laughs> as you said. That's for yeah. sure. Um, I wanted to ask you about the optics of game day. You know, when you come in uh, February 29th, of course, 8 o'clock Eastern um, on Big Fox. So that's another detail that uh, Nashville is... is going to be exposed to it on on fox 17 here in nashville what do you think about that from the morning all the way throughout the final whistle that whole day what are you expecting from nashville
3: you know it's one of the most fun things that i've gotten to do because i I lived this with portland in 2011 as an expansion team and it's something that i really pressed In the years since, is to make sure that we're doing these types of games. We did Cincinnati's first game and their first home game last year. We did LAFC's first home game the year before. We did both Minnesota and Atlanta's first games in 2017, et cetera, et cetera. And it is so special because, you know, one of the things I said last year in Cincinnati, and it's different there because the Reds are the oldest uh, continually operating team in the major leagues, the Bengals have a long history. And I said to some of the media and the fans that we met with the day before, you can read about the history of the Reds or the Bengals. You get to be a part of the history for FC Cincinnati. Mm -hmm. Now, Nashville, that dynamic is a little different because the, the Titans are, you know, within the living memory of most fans, I think probably, you know, excluding those who have moved in, that they showed up. The Predators, a similar thing. So, so people in Nashville, I think, understand that idea that you get to witness the history in front of you, and particularly in a sport like soccer and the league like MLS, which gives so much ownership to the fans to create the culture, to create the rituals, to be a part of the game day experience. You're not coming just to watch, you're coming to participate. And that's something that, that I take seriously, having been a supporter myself when I was in high school and college for the Portland Timbers, and something that we've seen has fueled the growth of the league. And so that's part of it. And it's not to be be disrespectful, it's not to be forgetful of the fact that Nashville has already had a team in USL, and the roots of that team were a fan-owned team in in the even lower divisions. But there is an element to which this is brand new, and, and it is different, and it is day zero. For this, and so being able to just sort of sit and watch what that turns into, what, how is the local culture and history of Nashville, as we said, a city that is just brimming with such things? How is that expressed in the Tifo? How is that expressed in the chants? How is that expressed in even when they're team driven? Some of the other rituals we're hearing about, the the riff on the guitar and the printing of the gold record and some of these things. How will a Nashville game? look and sound distinct to a Miami game, to an Atlanta game, to anywhere else. And and we get to see that sort of unfold before us. So a lot of that is just keeping my eyes open during the day, during the game, and just sort of soaking it in and enjoying it.
1: Hey, you talked about, you know, you we're speaking with with John Strong, who's the lead Major League Soccer voice uh, for Fox Soccer. Uh, he'll be on the call on Big Fox when Nashville SC play Atlanta United Saturday. Now, John, I wanted to ask you about specifically this region. Um, you talked about you know, growing up in Portland and realizing and being able to see Portland come and get to the level where Seattle Sounders had, had jumped to just a couple of years before them. And they've been able to you know, build that rivalry, of course. Of course, but it started in the lower leagues, so just like with Nashville and Atlanta uh, with their lower league teams. But now they're both in MLS. What is your take on soccer in the South? Is this game a vital proponent, is it a, is a factor that will help grow soccer in the South um, going forward?
3: Well, I can tell you this, and, and you know the extent to which, as a Northwesterner, it's easy to sort of paint that broad brush, but I know enough to say that Nashville is a different version of the South, even than Atlanta. Is. Um, but certainly, I can absolutely vividly remember in 2017... We were there for Atlanta's first ever game. It was at Bobby Dobbs Stadium, the Georgia Tech football stadium. Mm-hmm. And I can remember in the years before then thinking it was a terrible idea for MLS to give Atlanta an expansion team. It's a giant city. MLS was working in mid-sized cities like Portland and Orlando and Salt Lake City. It's got a bunch of other sports teams. Same sort of story. You're getting buried in places like Dallas and Denver and Chicago with all these sports teams. And, yeah, it's the South. People aren't interested in soccer there. People are interested in soccer, you know, on the West Coast and, and up in the Northwest especially in these other little pockets of the country beyond the fact that Atlanta had this reputation as being a terrible sports town. And to be there, and for that matter, I mean, I called an Atlanta Silverbacks game in 2007 in the USL playoffs, and it was this neat little stadium, but it was way out in the suburbs. There was no one there. It was like the people even know this team is here. And then to be there the day of that first game and to see the visibility everywhere. People were wearing their Atlantic out of stuff around the city. There were advertisements everywhere. It was in all the stores. We already knew the game was sold out. It was a a carnival atmosphere on the Georgia Tech campus. All the, the frat houses were tailgating. People were coming in. It was incredible. It blew us away, and it made us believe, you know what? Shoot, maybe this can work anywhere. Maybe the fact that MLS has grown, that soccer has grown, the generational turnover, all these things, maybe it doesn't matter anymore. And so here we are in Nashville, Tennessee. And again, it's not to say that there isn't a soccer history in Nashville or in Tennessee there is, but that, you know, they've sold over 50,000 tickets, Drake, mm-hmm. on a Saturday night in February when it's going to be cold, not for a national team game, for just the, the local team's game. Fifty thousand tickets for a soccer game in Nashville, and we're not blinking. In part because Atlanta has destroyed sort of all the previous, you know <laughs> pretty much uh, every record. Uh. <laughs> what it'd be. Exactly. So we fifty thousand, but like, but again, it's, that's that's something significant. And and to be able then, as you keep mentioning, you know, not that we don't have a great platform on FS1, but these opportunities to be on Fox broadcast, When yeah, there is a big difference. Cord cutting and all that. There's a big difference between broadcast network TV. And cable television on a Saturday night in prime time on the Fox network to be able to be on and provide this showcase, A, for all of us, but be able to give Nashville the opportunity to show the rest of the country, hey, this is what we can offer here too, is really exciting. And so that's the thing where anymore I just sort of go in like, this is going to be crazy fun. And, and it has readjusted all of my expectations of where I think soccer or MLS can or cannot be popular.
1: You know, talking with John Strong, once again, the lead voice for MLS on Fox. You know, John, you did mention the big number, you know, just over 50,000 tickets sold. National SC um, had, uh, had announced earlier today and 55,000 was just over 55,000 was the total for Atlanta United's first game at Dodd Stadium on the Georgia Tech campus on 2017. Now, I got to ask, you know, how much of a percentage, how high of a percentage is going to be Atlanta in Nissan Stadium Saturday, and how many fans will be representing Nashville SC? I
3: have heard and seen that chirping on Twitter uh, from the (laughs) Atlanta fans. You know, it is something unique, and and it's, it's a fascinating dynamic because away travel exists in college football, but it's really not a thing in other American sports like it is in soccer. And part of it just because of the huge distances. You know, this is a relatively local Darby, I hate using that word, but you know what I mean. The, the, the travel is reasonable. I always laugh when you'll see a game from England, and the commentators will say, "You know, they've traveled over 150 miles to this game." I'm like, that's the drive <laughs> from Portland to Seattle. That's pretty that's much disgusting. like, you know what I mean. So, so you understand it and you contextualize it that way. And it's sometimes is a little bit of a fight because, yeah, if I'm an NFL owner, why on earth would I want fans of the other team in my stadium? That scene is a failure when you know the Chargers have. Always Raider fans in their stadium, and yet it's something that's exceedingly normal, and I would argue very important. And I can, I can attest to the times in Portland when the atmosphere is made better by the presence of the away fans. When, when Seattle travels in big numbers, uh, when we've got a game twice where LAFC have traveled in big numbers, it makes the Portland fans louder because there's that, there's that back and forth. And so I want there to be a lot of Atlanta fans because it'll push the Nashville fans that much more. Um, you know, again, it's, it, Cincinnati last year, as an example, they, they packed Nippert stadium, 30,000 plus sellout for their first home game. How many of them were diehard supporters? How many of them had been there in USL? How many of them had soccer in their blood versus how many of them were more casual sports fans that were interested to try something new, that wanted to be a part of the scene, but weren't necessarily huge soccer people. Who cares? Also, at the end of the day, that's the thing. It'll continue to grow. The fact that people are coming, the fact that there's going to be a lot of people, I guarantee you, who aren't there at Nissan Stadium Saturday night, but will wish that they have been and will watch that on television and will go, you know what, I need to be there next time. That's where it builds and builds. The same thing happened in Portland. Their first ever home game in MLS in 2011 was a Thursday night. And the next day on the radio, we are flooded with calls and texts. All the same people who would yell at me to stop talking about soccer before <laughs> then were saying, you know what, that was actually really cool. I want tickets. I want to go next time. So part of it is that understanding that this is, it is the first game and it will continue to build from there.
1: You know, John, I wanted to – I've been thinking a lot about the actual game. You know, what's, gonna, what's the product on the field? How is that going to pan out with an Atlanta United team who has had – its own audition so far, letting everyone know what they're going to look like in the past two games for them in CONCACAF Champions League. They've had someone like PT Martinez who didn't have necessarily a a top class, you know, a really you know, elite year last year. Um, And he's come in, in the CONCACAF Champions League. He's got, you know, some goals under his belt. He's got two goals and two assists. And of course, with Joseph Martinez, the, those two star players are going to be coming in for Atlanta. Now, of course, this Nashville side is yet to play a game, obviously. But with this rivalry you know, over their heads, and it's under, it's at a big crowd, over 50,000 people, what type of game do you think fans, whether watching on Fox or at the stadium, will see?
3: Well, the, uh, there's a potentially very long answer to this, and so I'll try to end I'll it as much as I can. Listen, the, the history of MLS expansion teams, LAFC and Atlanta are such outliers, really. Uh, and then Seattle was before that. Most MLS expansion teams aren't good. They're not supposed to be good. It's an expansion team. That's the point. You're getting the pieces from other teams that they didn't want. You're cobbling this together from scratch. Um, and, and we've sort of it, it's become a derision to say, oh, you're going to be like Minnesota. Oh, you're going to be like Cincinnati. Well, guess what? Minnesota, yeah, they were not great. Opening night, they lost 5-1. Now, they were only down 2-1 to with 10 minutes left in Portland. And they were poor that first year defensively especially. But by their third year, they were in the playoffs, and they were following the blueprint they had consulted heavily with, uh, with Portland on. And Portland had consulted heavily on their blueprint from RSL, and both of those teams have won MLS Cup. So, so, again, it's sort of where Atlanta and LAFC have destroyed what our reasonable expectations are for what an expansion season should be. Now, what I can tell you historically is that MLS expansion teams tend to win their first home game. However, most of the time, those are situations where they played a couple of away games and they've gotten their noses bloodied up and they've gotten a few games under their belt. Cincinnati last year, for all their struggles over the course of the season, they, were, they led in Seattle before sort of getting run over in the second half. Then they got a draw in Atlanta, and then they smashed Portland, who ended up being a playoff team, 3-0 in their first home game. The challenge for Nashville is to have this home game on opening night. That is just such a tough thing because, yeah, you're right, you've not played a real match together. How is it really going to look? How is it really going to feel? Now, the arguments that I can give you for Nashville, number one, I think it's a better constructed team than Cincinnati was last year. Maybe I'm biased with my Dax McCarty glasses and my Walker Zimmerman glasses, and I'm a big <laughs> fan of Hannibal Godoy. But they constructed the team better up the spine than Cincinnati has. Where are the goals going to come from for Nashville, I don't know. We'll see. You know, it's, I'm always happy to be surprised. Dominic Baji has had some good moments. Uh, Hany Mukhtar, obviously, is a player that, had, you know, was, was sort of the next big thing, and it didn't quite pan out. So here's his second chance. Over the course of the season, is different than on the opening night. From an Atlanta standpoint, you know, what I would, what I would have said before last night, was this is an Atlanta team. Strange as it might seem for all their success, they've actually lost all three of their season openers. They lost their first ever game. They blew a lead in the last 15 minutes to the Red Bulls. They tried a new formation out in Houston in their second season opener and got dismantled. Last year, on shorter rest a Thursday to a Sunday, they lost against D.C., which has been a team that sort of had their number. Um, the fact that this is, it's a shorter week of sorts But you've also got two games under your belt. Um, I don't expect tired legs, but I don't expect much rotation from Frank DeBoer because I don't think he has anyone to rotate, to. They've got a bunch of players out injured. They're trying to get some visa situations. And the other thing to keep in mind with Atlanta, they're a work in progress, too. Of the 12 players that saw the field in the Eastern Conference Final their last game a season ago, six of those 12 are gone. They've overhauled their roster in a big, big way. It's going to take some time. However, In watching, I mean, I'm saying last night, Tuesday night, obviously, the fact that P.T. Martinez had that good of a game, that he looked that comfortable, and that he was very honest afterwards about, hey, my head was not in the right place. It was a bad year for me last year, but I feel a lot better now. That's where I go, hmm, okay, this really could be a different Atlanta. But there is an opportunity for Nashville. It's going to come... One of the things that Frank DeBoer is sort of notorious for is he's not going to make a lot of subs. And again, I don't expect much rotation. Could there be an opportunity with one or two tired legs? Perhaps, even though it's this early in the season, you're still not at full fitness. Can you ride the wave of your crowd? You know, Atlanta's not really going to know what to expect. There's a lot of game film on Nashville. So, again, you know, history sort of biases against Nashville. Atlanta's history actually gives some hope to Nashville, but there is that element of the unknown and the unpredictable in this type of situation where I, even more so than I normally do in this ridiculous, crazy, unpredictable league that is MLS, I hesitate to have any particular expectations for what Saturday night will be like on the field.
1: John, I wanted to ask you about Nashville's ceiling. You know what's the, what's the definition of a successful season for Nashville SC in 2020?
3: Well, I don't expect them to be as poor by at least certain metrics as Cincinnati and Minnesota were last year. I have no real evidence for that. It's sort of a hunch I have of the way they built it. Um, in the same way, I don't actually expect Miami to be as good as Atlanta and LAFC. I think Nashville and Miami will be somewhat more in the middle. The, the, the line for success in MLS, unless you're an LAFC or an Atlanta or a Seattle where it's about competing for championships, Generally, it's making the playoffs. I think if you could make the playoffs for Nashville, uh, that's a very successful year. It was a weird Western Conference last year. You had one team that was beyond everyone, and this giant gelatinous blob between about two and nine in the standings, where even like Colorado was still in it on the final day. If that repeats itself again, Nashville's going to have a chance, unless they just really crater out. Nashville has a chance to be in contention. Um, The thing that I found really interesting, actually, was how front-loaded their schedule is. They had this huge run early of home games. Then they've got a big chunk in the first part of the summer of away games, and a lot of away games to finish the season. So there is an opportunity for Nashville to do sort of what Portland did in 2011, as poor as they were on opening night, uh, their first-ever game at Colorado, who were the defending champs, Gary Smith's team, actually. They won their first five home games, and that gave them momentum and it gave them standings points. That even though they sort of just hit a wall in, in about Memorial Day weekend and didn't really recover until the fall, they were in it until the end. So it's already a forgiving playoff structure. It, it was last year a forgiving Western Conference. I think for Nashville, it is reasonable to suggest that they can be in contention until the final week. If you make the playoffs, that's a great season for you because that's what most expansion teams. Normal expansion teams aspire for. If at the least, you can say, you know what, we're in contention to the final weeks. We're not breaking records for the amount of losses or the amount of goals we've allowed. And there's a real sense that we're building a foundation here. We're finding guys that we know we can keep long term. Turn- That's part of the expansion teams. There's tons of roster turnover because you think that that guy you've scouted and you signed is going to be the real deal, and after five games, you're like, nope, this guy's terrible. That happens for every expansion team, really. Even the Atlantas and the LAFCs had guys they thought they could count on, and they were gone by the end of the year. But if you can get to the end of the season and go, okay, we've got six or seven or eight or nine of our starting 11, pretty locked down here, and we sort of know where else to go, I think that's a successful season for Nashville.
1: John Strong, the voice of Fox Soccer and the voice of Major League Soccer on Fox, and a fellow Oregon Duck. You know, it's good to actually... Uh, get go a ducks. chance to connect so go ducks and thank you so much for coming on the podcast and we will see you in nashville saturday february 29th when nashville sc take on atlanta united
3: drake i couldn't be more excited to, to be there and to be a part of it and to get to tell nashville's story to our to our audience on fox saturday night so pleasure talking to you
0: Wow, that was an awesome podcast. Uh, Drake, thanks for setting that up. Yeah, man, I think John Strong, he's a guy who he's been around the
1: MLS expansion narrative, so to speak, a couple of times. He's been able to assess how each market has grown in MLS or the lack thereof. And it got a chance to talk with him about... you know, Nashville SC's ceiling for 2020. And I think with John Strong was saying, you know, he com- it was hard to compare, right? He did talk about LAFC and Atlanta being outliers. He talked about you know, what Nashville has versus what it doesn't have at the moment. And he also talked about the fact that, you know, this is a tough start for, for Nashville and MLS going up against the opponents that it does have. Um, so I think, I can, I, I can agree with what he said about Nashville.
0: 100%. SC. And again, I think if the Nashville SC was in the Eastern Conference, we'd be talking differently. Yeah, I mean, we will l- see. L- look up where Miami FC or Inter-Miami, sorry, is being talked about. You know, mm-hmm. it slipped. Flip the scripts on that one, yeah. and we're talking about Nashville City, almost yeah. an automatic playoff contention. But they're not. They're in the Western Conference, and they also have to contend with planning around CMA Fest and the Titan schedule. Right. And all these things really make that season really complicated. It's going to be tough. So, for you, what do you think Nashville City needs to do to have what is considered a successful season? Is it making the playoffs? Is it just not being and replicating what Minnesota and Cincinnati did? Yeah, we' well- like John, in
1: the I can agree with what John was saying. I think it'd be an incredible feat to <clears throat> start at with your first ever year in MLS and you make the playoffs. I think that's the perfect goal. And like he said, every MLS expansion team wants to make the playoffs. That's that's just the fact. But will they? I personally think that they're a spot out of the playoffs in the best in the best scenario. I think that you know someone like, whether it be Minnesota United having somewhat of an average season and they get in the seventh spot, maybe someone like jeez, I don't know. Maybe Portland Timbers sink. Maybe FC Dallas are still in the playoff picture still. What if Houston Dynamo? That was my pick. I think Houston Dynamo with Darren Quintero now, he's a guy who's been able to score goals with Minnesota last year from a midfield spot. Even though Adrian Heath, he was kind of had him as like a false nine or somewhat of a forward in in his formation. Quintero could likely give Houston the surge up front. Now, of course, Houston is going to be trouble in the back, so we'll see if they are able to hold off that, that seventh slot by keeping out some goals. But, you know, I think there's a lot of contention, like you said, with, that, with those final two playoff spots in the Western Conference. Are they better than New England Revs in the Eastern Conference? Are they better than you know, Orlando City with their search and what they're doing right now? Are they better than Philadelphia Union? Are they better than some of these teams who may be four, five, six, seven, somewhere around there, Um, teams that made the playoffs last year? Will they make the playoffs this year? Will Inter-Miami get into that seventh playoff spot? And
2: that's all all back to what we talked about before, which is cohesion and how quickly does this team become a unit that can grab results in situations like Saturday against a really good Atlanta United team. Mm
1: -hmm. I mean, again, going back to the schedule, though, the fact that you have a midweek game against Philadelphia Union on the second week of May, May 13th, right? You do not have a home game. If you're a Nashville SC fan, you must know you do not have a home game until July 5th against Portland Timbers. So that's, I think that's going to be the big decider right there about the playoff push because shortly thereafter that, they're going to have some favorable games. We're going to have some, some games at home. I mean, taking a look at Obviously, I mentioned portland Timbers, but can they beat Real Salt Lake at home? Can they beat San Jose Earthquakes at home in, in the end of July? Can they beat Minnesota United at home in the beginning of August? I mean, they're going from July 18th to August 5th. They're at home every single. that's six games, five games at home straight. You're going to need pretty much 15 points right there,
0: Nick, 12 answer. to 15 points right there. It's going to be tough. What do they need to do? have a successful season playoffs not be as bad as some of the recent expansion teams somewhere in the middle i think i agree with john
2: strong in the fact that if they get into the final couple weeks of the year if they get really into if they're if it's labor day and we're still talking we have we see a path for nashville sc to get in the playoffs i think that's a successful season it uh, extends into the nfl season where the city of Nashville doesn't disconnect because of college football and because of the Titans, you can see, you can still talk about Nashville SC in September. That is a successful season. Now, how they get there is a whole different question, but I think it is important for them to get to football season and still say, Hey guys,
0: we still matter here in the sports landscape. That is important. Relevancy is a big word and in a town like Nashville, similar to LAFC, similar to Atlanta, where style and and glitz count for something, Na- you know, I'm going to put in a Nashville, an NHL team, the Vegas Knights. You know, they went to the Stanley Cup their first year. I think it's important for them to come out and be relevant. You talk about uh, and style,
1: be- though. like this: this they have. Do they have the juice? Does Nashville FC have the juice to keep fans around when it's the middle of summer or when it's the end of summer? And the Titans are back playing preseason games even, let alone before the regular season. Do they have the juice? Do they
0: have the swag to let people know that this is actually an, a fun event to be around? How you know important mean? and how much of a jumping point is going to be that first game where they're predicting anywhere between fifty and 55,000, maybe even more fans?
1: I mean, that's interesting. I just, as we've talked about, and I think there's been some conflicting reports, right? I mean, MLF Soccer is reporting you know, just under 55,000 tickets sold. Uh, there have been some other reports. John Strong even mentioned it in an interview that there is about 50,000 tickets uh, sold. So, I mean, that could be interesting as well. How many of those fans are Atlanta United fans is another question I asked him. I personally think that's probably around 15,000. That's a lot. 15, 10 to 15. Like that's I know that's a big range, 10 to 15,000. But if you're telling me that Nashville SC <laughs> is going to have 55,000 people at Nissan Stadium, and you're telling me that not, that they're going to have basically the the majority. I think 40,000, 45,000 National SC fans is around the ballpark, and the rest of them are and going to be.
0: So I'm going to set the over or or under. Fans. You guys tell me. I'm going to set the over under fifty six thousand two hundred and thirty two fans. Under. Over or un- under? Under.
2: Slightly under, but to go to the Drake's point, if they have forty thousand people wearing gold. In that stadium, that is an unquestioned success.
1: I think at this point it's already a win for Nashville SC. Why it's already it? it's already a win. Like it's and let's be clear, it's already a win off the field. Okay? Yeah. It's already it's already a win in the stands is what I'm trying to say. If you have even if you even if you had 000, forty five thousand, forty thousand and five thousand of those were Atlanta United fans, if you're having to me, full stop, if you have over thirty thousand fans at your game. I know it's the home opener and the and the season opener, but if you have thirty thousand feet uh seasoned, you know fans throughout the season, I think that's something that you could probably bank
0: on just as much as if you make the playoffs. I think you are gonna opinion. get fifty seven thousand and more in the first game. Oh, you it'd you, be nice. You it'd shoot be a, you're shooting be for the for the big star. You know why? You shoot Wh- why did they choose fifty six two thirty two? That wow. is the Nissan Stadium record for a soccer attendance game. They're okay. not going to come close to 55 or 56 that would also break not break the record. That would
1: also break Atlanta's for their first ever gonna MLS find, game. They're going to find a way to 57,000. I think yeah, exactly. people
0: will get excited and, and they'll break the record.
1: I think it's interesting, though, because the way that Nashville see front office, someone like Ian Air, the CEO of the club, was talking about how Nashville comes late to the party. Nashville comes late to the party. Nashville. I didn't buy that at first. But now it's almost like it's it's coming not only to fruition, but I think it's jumped a little bit more like it's more than they expected. Well, let's let's see what it looks like. I'm just saying before we get to that point. I'm just saying from the based on the numbers,
2: the numbers are good. The numbers are good. But are you saying I want to I want to see what it looks like before we jump to that kind of conclusion? Where are you going to be on Saturday? Oh, I'm going to be watching the game in here. In here being. The in the Tennessean. In the you're Tennessean. From, yes. Tennessean. In you're going to be
0: in the <laughs> press box.
1: <laughs> yeah, in the Tennessean. Nick is going to be in the Tennessean. I'm going to be in the Nissan press Stadium box. press
0: box. I'm going to be wearing a very nice I'm going to be at home watching it on Big Fox. Big Fox. Big Fox. I am Jaime Cardenas. You can follow me at Jaime A. Cardenas on Twitter. I'm Nick Gray. You can follow me at N. Gray Reporter. I'm Drew Drake Hills, the
1: National SC reporter, as well as the Major League Soccer reporter for the Tennessean.
0: Follow me on Twitter. Tap in Live Life Drake. This was get it started. This was the first episode. E1 S1. Let us know what you'd like us to talk about. Let us know your thoughts. And, you know, let's all be a part of history here.